Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 14, the Italian Grand Prix. After Sebastian Vettel cruised to victory in Belgium, Ferrari was expected to break an eight-year home race victory drought in Monza, but it wasn't to be. A first lap crash with Lewis Hamilton put Vettel out of podium contention, and Mercedes used its two cars to one advantage to overpower Kimi Raikkonen and take a classic victory. So does Vettel shoulder all of the blame for Ferrari's waning title fortunes? To help answer that question, I'm joined by Luca Manacorda from FormulaPassion.it. Luca, how are you doing? Ciao, Michael. Hi, everybody. I am back from Monza. I'm good, thanks. And we have a lot to to, to, do, to talk about. Oh, there's plenty to talk about from this race. But let's take it right back to the start of the weekend. This, is, of course, is a back-to-back race with Belgium last week, which Sebastian Vettel won pretty comfortably in the end of the day. There was a, there was a good performance by Ferrari at Spa-Francorchamps, and it felt like there was a lot of momentum behind Ferrari going into their home race. They hadn't won since 2008, uh, 2010, I beg your pardon, in eight years. What was the, the feeling like going to Monza? What was the crowd's expectations like uh, ahead of this Grand Prix? Uh, there was a lot of... Uh... Hope for this weekend because Tifosi but also Ferrari uh, were uh, a, a little bit sure that this was their finally the season for a new victory in Monza and maybe a victory uh, that uh, launched Ferrari into the world champion. So if you see in the show in Milan, there was a lot of Tifosi and uh, a lot of uh, hope for this race, but... Uh, <laughs> The weekend has uh, gone in another way, you can say. <laughs> yeah, definitely in a different direction. Uh, the, the fans, obviously, the Tifosi at, at, at Monza is almost the most notable part. Uh, it's obviously a classic circuit. We've been racing there uh, for just about as long as any other racetrack on the Formula One calendar. But if you're a Ferrari driver or if you're Ferrari, if you're Sebastian Vettel or the team uh, involved in running his car... Do you feel like that? How much pressure does it add for them to be performing at their home race? Like we said, they haven't won in almost a decade, and it's been a bit of a difficult track for them, certainly in recent years, because of the power unit that Mercedes had. But how much is the the huge crowd that they got there this weekend making that job really difficult for them? Yeah, it's probably so because, uh, especially for a driver like that, because uh, Raikkonen is Iceman and uh, it's not a problem for him where. Uh, <laughs> the Formula One race, but for Vettel it seems to be different. And uh, of course, uh, there's a lot of pressure on uh, Ferrari drivers for this race from fans, from uh, media, uh, from Ferrari itself. So it's not so so simple. And sometimes this uh, pressure is not uh, a good uh, element for the for the Italian weekend. Mm, and obviously, we'll get to the main part of this race shortly and of course the crash on lap one but I do want to ask you a little bit about how the media did respond to this race in Italy because there was so much pressure for Ferrari to finally get the job done at home and not only did they not do it but Sebastian Vettel has slipped pretty far behind Lewis Hamilton in the championship standings now it's 30 points which is the biggest it's been all year what was the response because I mean you and I were talking a little bit beforehand and it it does feel like I mean the weak component so far in Sebastian Vettel's campaign has been Sebastian Vettel himself. 
Yeah, yeah. The, this morning on the Italian newspaper, we can uh, read uh, a lot of criticism uh, to Vettel, and uh, we can say that uh, a lot of journalists uh, disapprove uh, his race, not only in this, in this uh, Grand Prix, because uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, has uh, done a lot of mistakes uh, during this year and the last season. Now there is a um, huge part of the journalists that uh, think that uh, with, uh, with uh, Fernando Alonso, this uh, season season and maybe the last season <laughs> could have a different story. It's not a, a good moment for uh, Sebastian now in, in Italy. And I mean, this is sort of the question from the weekend, right? And yeah, we will get to the crash in a moment. But Sebastian Vettel came to Ferrari with obviously a big reputation, a four-time world champion, wants to become a five-time world champion this year, hopefully. Uh, maybe he still can, we don't know. But why do you feel like there's so many errors in Sebastian Vettel's driving? It didn't really feel like it was happening very often at Red Bull Racing, but now when he's in a straight fight with Lewis Hamilton, we're really seeing a lot of mistakes from Vettel. I mean, what what do you think is behind this uh, otherwise very cool and collected driver? President Sergio Marchionne said last year that uh, Vettel is uh, a Deutsch, but is uh, a little bit too Italian. <laughs> so he's... Uh... <laughs> He's too emotional, and in this uh, in this race, it seems this is true. Mm-hmm. Sebastian is, is too emotional sometimes, and uh, we have seen this year when Hamilton is better in some times. For example, uh, we have seen in German, we have seen in French, we have seen in Baku. These are uh, mistakes that uh, we cannot uh, expect from a four-time world champion. Mm, and it will be interesting to see if um, if he can close out the championship this year, if he can continue maybe next year. But yeah, I do feel like we're getting to a point where we're asking some some maybe difficult questions of Sebastian Vettel in his championship campaign. But let's get on to, to one of those moments from this weekend because we want to talk about how expectation for Ferrari unraveled and became disappointment by the end of Sunday. In many respects, it started in qualifying, even though Ferrari got that 1-2, the first time since uh, 2000 that Ferrari locked out the front row. Uh, Already, Sebastian Vettel was a little bit unhappy. We heard after the race, the uh, engineers on the team radio celebrating excitedly that they'd scored the front row lockout, and Sebastian Vettel's only response was, we'll talk later. He was not happy about not being able to, to get the slipstream behind Lewis Hamilton as the way they'd planned, but... I mean, were you surprised that Kimi Raikkonen didn't give Sebastian Vettel a slipstream, given how far he is behind in the championship? Surely Ferrari would want to be favouring Vettel at this point of the year. Yeah, uh, this is strange, but um, we have to say that Vettel was uh, just behind uh, Hamilton, so his position during the last lap was not so bad. Mm. Yeah, in in that case, uh, the team radio of Sebastian uh, sounds like a team radio of uh, Alonso in the past. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if uh, you remember the the famous uh, Shemi Orgeni, that in in Italian means... uh, Dumbo or a genius <laughs> and maybe in 2012 only for the slipstream slipstream uh, with uh, in that case with Massa it's not a, a new new thing for Ferrari Monza this uh, problem with the slipstream but it's for t- the first time that we saw a ve- a Sebastian Vettel so uh, angry with the team mm. especially given that it was a 1-2 result and you'd think that 
well, the worst he could do on Sunday is to finish second. Maybe he'd even have a shot at the win. But, I mean, it was a 1-2 result, which is what people sort of expected going into the weekend because Ferrari did so well in Belgium, which is a similar circuit. They both they both need a lot of power, and Ferrari seems to have the fastest power unit. But Lewis Hamilton was quite close, even in qualifying, and we know he was very close during the race. Was it maybe catching Ferrari a little bit by surprise that they didn't have it all their own way, that Mercedes was maybe closer than they expected this weekend? Yeah, I think that uh, we have to say that um, was Hamilton maybe closer than to Ferrari because uh, we have seen the difference between uh, Lewis and uh, Bottas. Uh, so I think that uh, in this case, uh, we have to say that uh, we, we have seen uh, the value of the driver of uh, Lewis Hamilton. There's a lot of Lewis Hamilton in this, uh, <laughs> in this result. Yeah, and if we talk about this being a straight fight between Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel, uh, I think that's definitely something that we'll get onto uh, momentarily because this is potentially one of those season-defining races. And I mean, so we say the Ferrari had a 1-2 on the, on the front row of the grid. It should have been fairly straightforward from there even if Mercedes was uh, even the Mercedes was faster than they expected because you know, have two cars versus two cars they get a clean getaway it should have been fairly straightforward and they had a clean getaway for about four corners uh, that's all they got though and Sebastian Vettel came under attack from Lewis Hamilton and hit him in turn four into the second chicane spun his car around the wrong way ended up a pretty much the back of the grid here, I mean, of course, drivers never think they're at fault, but Sebastian Vettel was fairly adamant that Lewis Hamilton left him no room. Uh, I think Hamilton said before the race that he wanted to try some go-karting moves to try and get ahead, and I feel like that was a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It has worked very good for him. I agree with the decision of the race uh, direction. There was a no guilty driver for that for what happened in the turn, so it's just a it's just a mistake of uh, Vettel and a great move from uh, Hamilton. That's all. Do you think it's fair to say? And this is going to be one of those questions we're probably going to be asking for the whole year but is this as an example of Sebastian Vettel cracking under the pressure it sort of reminded me a little bit uh, in Singapore last year where he felt like he was losing the lead at the first turn and defended a little bit too aggressively and ended up crashing out of the race here was it the same thing he felt like even though he probably had the faster car he was losing second place to Lewis Hamilton felt like he had to defend quite harder and got it wrong again yeah exactly I agree with you because uh, Sebastian has the, the the fastest car on the grid we have seen busy uh, in the last two weekends so he has not to, to be so aggressive in, in, in the first lap if uh, another driver could be Verstappen in Singapore or Hamilton in Monza passed him he has to remain uh, cool and concentrated not try to resist and take this risk so, so early in the race because he has a fastest car and there is a DRS so he can come back in his position so it's a bad mistake mm, and certainly this was not only a costly mistake for Sebastian Vettel in terms of his race obviously he lost a lot of points to Lewis Hamilton obviously he recovered up to fourth place which is not a bad result I guess I mean that it helps to have such a fast car but more importantly it gave Kimi Raikkonen a strategic disadvantage because all of a sudden Mercedes had two cars to race and Ferrari had only Kimi Raikkonen all on his own but he did maintain the lead of the race even though there was a bit of a fight after the safety car uh, on the first lap when it resumed on lap four 
Uh, and all of a sudden, it became this really difficult race for Ferrari because they had to decide how to defend against, obviously, Lewis Hamilton, how to counteract Valtteri Bottas. Uh, and they did so by pitting first. They got into the pit stops in uh, lap 21, end of lap 20 uh, for lap 21 uh, to move to the new soft tyres. And we saw, and it became a little, a small bit of controversy, didn't it? Because Mercedes sent its mechanics out to the pit lane because they thought maybe they would also pit Lewis Hamilton, change their mind at the last moment. And I mean, that was a decisive factor for them as well, giving Lewis Hamilton uh, another seven laps to have fresher tyres towards the end. Yeah, 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 that was another key moment for the race because uh, Mercedes, uh, it's like a, a chess game and and they won the, this game because uh, Ferrari was uh, afraid uh, of the undercut but they, they pitted too early and we, uh, we, have, we have seen this at the end of the race with Kimi that struggled with his tires. The tires were, were destroyed at the end of the race. So Mercedes won this race uh, on track, but also on the, on the box with the strategy. And uh, of course, uh, a key role was the, the role of uh, Valtteri Bottas, mm-hmm. that somebody here uh, has criticized a lot. But uh, in this case, it's right for them for Mercedes uh, use a driver in that way. Maybe it's not totally fair, but uh, we can understand them, I think. And it's a way to recognize the, the, the power of Ferrari in this season, I think. Well, I thought it was interesting as well because, as you say, they used Valtteri Bottas to to block Kimi Raikkonen's progress, essentially, to help Lewis Hamilton catch up after he made his own pit stop because he'd fallen further behind. Raikkonen was fairly quick on those new soft tyres. But it is kind of ironic, and I think Nico Rosberg said this afterwards on uh, Sky Sports F1, that... Uh, it's ironic that Mercedes used team orders to beat Ferrari on a weekend that Ferrari didn't use any team orders at all. We know maybe they might have in the race, we don't know, but not in qualifying. They didn't seem to be preparing to let Sebastian Vettel win the race and get past Kimi Raikkonen. So, you know, of all the of all the teams to be beaten by team orders, you wouldn't have thought it would be Ferrari. Yeah, it's strange because uh, we saw in the past that Ferrari used his driver to help each other. For example, remember uh, in 2012 when uh, Massa in, in Austin were penalized to help Alonso to start in a better position. Or, of course, uh, sometimes uh, Barrichello with Schumacher in the early 2000s. So, yeah, it's ironic that now it's Mercedes to to use the this kind of strategy. Maybe it's also something it's about the, the role of the driver in, in the team. So, because in Ferrari, we know that uh, they're thinking about the lineup of the next season. And uh, just in Monza um, emerged this uh, scenario that uh, with uh, Leclerc that will replace uh, Raikkonen next year. Also, the, the start of Kimi, the first uh, third one, the race maybe doesn't uh, help uh, Vettel because uh, he knows that uh, next year he won't be in Ferrari. This could be a, a way to, to read this situation. And it makes for an interesting background of this race, the Charles Leclerc news as well, uh, if indeed that is what's happening. But it sounds like 
he's destined to play replace Kimi Raikkonen in 2019. Uh, Raikkonen, to get back into the middle of this race, was stuck behind Valtteri Bottas, but it sort of was in equal parts uh, a whole bunch of different reasons that he ran out of tyres towards the end of this race. It was partly because he was stuck behind Valtteri, of course, but then he was getting Valtteri slipstream, so that helped him. But it was partly as well that he was pushing so hard on those new tyres at the very start of his stint, when he still had a lot of fuel in the car, when there was still a lot of rubber on the tyres, which meant they blistered more easily. Was this also just a little bit of bad management from Kimi Raikkonen in terms of playing the longer game and knowing that Lewis Hamilton was going to have fresher tyres at the end, but not really conserving his own tyres? For sure, I agree. And uh, I think uh, another problem for him was that uh, he cannot uh, overtake uh, Bottas. And this is uh, not good for his race because, because with fresh tyres and a fast, uh, faster car, he should pass uh, Bottas. With the use of DRS, uh, we saw that uh, was not impossible. So this lapse has been a very important uh, moment of the race and for the final race. It's important to say as well, uh, Valtteri Bottas was held out there until lap 36, which is when he pitted and Kimi Raikkonen regained the lead, albeit only for uh, about eight laps, I think it was thereabouts, before Lewis Hamilton was able to pass him. But this didn't completely throw Valtteri Bottas under the bus because he was still competing with Max Verstappen for third place. And even though it did mean he fell further behind Verstappen when he emerged from the pits, he had a significant tyre advantage over him because he had much newer soft tyres, obviously. Verstappen had pitted almost still, or about 10 laps before he had. Uh, and we saw that Bottas did close right up to Max Verstappen, tried to pass him. But uh, Verstappen, back to back to being quite aggressive in defence, just wouldn't let him by. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the race, uh, Mercedes has reached the best results. Even if they keep uh, Bottas on track uh, for so many laps, we saw in the battle of, between uh, Valtteri and Verstappen that uh, Verstappen yeah, is aggressive driver, but he's also a great driver in the battle because with a slower car, especially in the straight, Bottas can overtake him. So we also have seen decided that um, best drivers in uh, in the battle were not in Ferrari. So <laughs> we can say, <laughs> even if uh, with uh, his uh, aggressive defense at the end, Verstappen make a pleasure to to Vettel because Vettel has gained a position due to the penalty. And we saw Sebastian Vettel; he did get up to fourth place, as you say, partly because of the Max Verstappen penalty. He never even had to try and pass Max Verstappen. Uh, he just had to finish within five seconds of him uh, and moved himself up to fourth so a strong recovery drive as we said but how do we feel like Ferrari goes forward from here we saw Mercedes is obviously not afraid to use Valtteri Bottas as the number two driver Toto Wolff said that they'd make the decision after Monza to make him formally the number two driver, not just on a race-by-race basis. And, I mean, they already are, so I I see no reason why they wouldn't in the next couple of races. Does Sebastian Vettel now have to demand that he becomes the number one driver of this team? And will Kimi Raikkonen accept that if, like you say, this ends up being his last year at Ferrari and he's about to be replaced? 
Yeah, it's a mystery because uh, even uh, on uh, Saturday we felt that there will be something not so clear on on the race because uh, in Ferrari the situation is not so clear. So we can know what uh, what we, we we will see in the next race. Raikkonen has been a very fair driver for his team during this uh, season. So uh, I think that will, uh, he will have uh, battle in the battle for the title. But um, we cannot uh, underestimate the, the situation of, of the drivers and the discussion for the 2019 lineup. It will be interesting. I thought it was interesting as well, Maurizio Rivabene's reaction to, to Mercedes using team orders. And we've already said it's unusual that Mercedes beat Ferrari with team orders when normally you'd think it would be the other way around. But he responded in a way that made it sound as though Ferrari doesn't use team orders. Is this possibly the start of a, a fairer Ferrari in the sense where they don't choose a number one driver? Or are they getting ready? Uh, as we talked about earlier, if Charles Leclerc is coming next year, are they getting ready to not have Sebastian Vettel as the number one driver? Are they trying to prepare him for a world where... Maybe he's up against a teammate who's just as fast as he is. I think that uh, if Ferrari will lose this title, the title this year, uh, we will see we will see something different in the next uh, season. Especially if uh, Leclerc will arrive in Ferrari, and we have to remember that uh, Bene is a great fan of uh, Raikkonen. So maybe he's trying to to pushing his his driver because he he want him again next year and that's why he said this about the Mercedes strategy a very complicated situation I think and uh, in Monza we we have a meeting the journalists have a meeting with the new Ferrari AD uh, Lou Camilleri and he seems just a man that uh, is going in Ferrari but with a soft move following the um, Marchione way I have this uh, this idea of him. If we wrap up a couple of other stories from this weekend, uh, I thought one of the outstanding drives of the weekend was Sergio Perez, who came from 14th to finish 8th on the road. He finished 7th because Romain Grosjean got disqualified, but let's say 8th on the road for now. Uh, a big drive from him uh, in a car that was a little bit damaged as well, and for a team that is still under a big legal cloud over the administration of the off-season, of the, of the mid-season break, rather. Yeah, yeah, I'm a great fan of uh, Perez. I think he's a very solid driver, and uh, we have seen uh, this in the last two races. Some, somebody said that he has a chance to come back in McLaren, but today we saw that uh, this will be not possible. And I think it's, it's also better for him because McLaren uh, has a long way to come back on the position. So, yeah, another great race from Perez, and I think that uh, he will stay in Force India to help. Uh, Lance Stroll that he will be the new driver <laughs> for obviously reasons <laughs> yeah it was um, the midfield has been really interesting all year and it was again in this race uh, Sergio Perez going from 14th to 8th you would think that Force India pulled off some terrific strategy to get him there but Really, they didn't. They did exactly the same thing they did with Esteban Ocon. Uh, and just to emphasize how well Perez did 
to to make up those places because he made up all of them. He was only three seconds behind Ocon before their pit stop. So he'd already caught up to Esteban Ocon in the meanwhile. Uh, and the reason Ocon and Perez could finish so high, they passed Carlos Sainz, for example, and Carlos Sainz qualified seventh and finished ninth uh, on the road anyway, was just simply because we saw how big a power deficit Renault has. There was no, there was nothing Carlos Sainz could do to defend against either Force India driver. Carlos Sainz was never going to even be able to overtake Romain Grosjean, who I think Haas had the fourth fastest car this weekend, even though it was illegal, it turns out, uh, which is another story altogether. But it really showed, I thought, the, the power differences in the midfield, and that was what made the entire difference for this race. Yeah, yeah, of course, Monza um, is a track where the, the power unit is, is, is so important. So we have seen that uh, there is still a, a big difference between uh, Ferrari and Mercedes power unit and uh, Renault power unit. I, I think we also seen that Honda power unit is not uh, so bad. It's going better and better, so this uh, could be a good news for Red Bull. That will be uh, one of the really interesting parts of 2019 will be how that Honda power unit goes. Uh, Finally, I think it is worth touching on Haas and Romain Grosjean because Grosjean's been having a bit of a renaissance in the second half of this year and late last season, uh, sorry, late before the mid-season break, I should say, uh, after he had a very difficult start to the season uh, compared to Kevin Magnussen, his teammate. He's turned it around. He's looking uh, sharper. He's looking a bit punchier. Uh, Maybe Haas will retain him. Who knows? It's difficult to say, obviously. They're not saying anything yet. Uh, But, of course, the team was disqualified from Monza. I can't even remember the last time we had a technical disqualification. Uh, I mean, that's got to hurt Haas, considering that they're in this battle with Renault for fourth place. In fact, they'd equaled fourth place had they scored the points that Romain Grosjean had scored. I believe they are appealing that result, but uh, that's a pretty big blow against that team. And also, it shows how personal it's getting between Haas and Renault in that fight for the Constructors' Championship fourth place. Yeah, this year uh, has uh, thrown away a lot of points uh, because it, it's clear that uh, they have the fur car on the grid. Also because they use uh, the Ferrari power unit that it's probably the best power unit this year, especially uh, after the spec 2 of the, the engine. So um, they can lose this uh, the fourth position at the end of the year due to their uh, mistakes. But uh, I think that uh, we have uh, also to remember that this is a very young team. This is the first season of the, this team. So sometimes I can understand uh, their mistakes, I, I have to say. After all, they're only a couple of years old. Even if they're getting these really competitive parts from Ferrari, uh, they still need to learn how to use them after all. Uh, they are still a very new team so uh, the fact that they're still competing for fourth in the championship is pretty impressive I think and you wonder whether or not uh, they can go even further next year uh, it's, it, it will be really interesting the rise of the Haas Formula 1 team that was the Italian Grand Prix but I want to end this one with one more question uh, and I think this is going to be a question I'm going to ask just about every week from now on in because we're into the final part of the season. Uh, we're going to Asia next. Of course, the Singapore Grand Prix is next. And we all remember uh, what happened in Singapore last year. And we all remember what happened to Ferrari and Vettel's championship chances this time last year in Singapore and in Malaysia and in Japan is where it really all went wrong. So after the Italian Grand Prix, looking ahead to the next couple of races... Do you think Ferrari still has a chance? Does Sebastian Vettel still have a chance this season to claim the championship? 
Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that um, it's, it's still possible for Ferrari to win this uh, this world champion uh, because for simple reason because the car is, is the better on the grid. So if the driver, uh, we can say that now Ferrari has the be- the best car, but uh, Mercedes still uh, still has the best driver and the best uh, team. So it will be a, a great battle, I think. I think that Ferrari could do this, uh, react to this situation. In Singapore, it's possible to to do a one-two result. And maybe in Singapore, they could receive an help from uh, Red Bull. It's one of the tracks where Red Bull could act a role in the championship battle. And so, let's see, I think that it will be an interesting final part of the season. And hopefully, yes, a great battle, because we've had a pretty great battle so far this year, and it would be a shame if it didn't make it all the way to Abu Dhabi. But we'll wait and see. This is Formula One. You never know what's going to happen. It was a a really interesting, a really thrilling Italian Grand Prix, even if the Tifosi didn't get the result they wanted. Uh, But it's been really great to talk to you again this year, Luca. Yeah, thank you, Michael. It's been a very emotional weekend, and I'm still... uh... Proved by these. <laughs> <laughs> that was Luca Manacorda from FormulaPassion.it. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. You can get every episode by subscribing on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a wrap-up of the Singapore Grand Prix. Thank you.